Hi, I'm Maddie, and I don't have a hobby. Hi, I'm Haley, and I have too many hobbies. And I've taken it upon myself to get Maddie hooked on just about anything. In this podcast, we're talking true crime. We're talking Enneagram. We're talking mental health. We're talking Scientology. And just about everything in between. So we're inviting you on a journey that you definitely didn't ask to be invited on. In the hopes that you too would like to be Average, average girls Average and only Average and only yeah. Hello everyone! Hello! What is today, Haley? Today? Mm-hmm. Yeah! Wait, put that. Play it! Okay, we're done. And we're done. It's over. Selena, put it away. Basically, what we're trying to say is that it is our one year of average been owning it. It's been um it's been quite a ride. Yeah. Like, can you believe it was a year ago we were just buying some mics on Amazon? Isn't that weird? Yeah, that, I mean, that was a little bit over a we, year ago. We've had the three studios in a year. Wow. Isn't full studios. Full full studios. <laughs> Granted, only one of them, I guess, was designated to this, but still. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, Crazy Times. It's fun. Yeah. And so kind of with us talking about it being our one year, our hot take today is going to be... Us looking back on the last year. <laughs> I like how you us, said us like it is like, usually us. I know. Us looking back on the last year, things we've learned, maybe our favorite episodes. Mm. Uh, like uh, we're looking back on this year of the podcast. Yeah. We're just in life. No. no. Like I've learned to be strong. Oh my god. I start crying. Um yeah, okay. Favorite episode. Yeah. That one's kind of hard. Um I feel like I have a couple, like, there are some that I think were funny. Like, I know people liked the dating red flags because I think that one was funny. Yeah. I also liked the Men We Wish Well episode only because Lexus was in it and it was really funny. Yeah, I love her. Which were some good stories. I feel like I learned a lot about you that I didn't know then. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I hadn't heard half those stories because you, mostly because you forgot about them until that moment. Maybe. Yeah. No, I I remember those ones because those are more, like, traumatic for me. (laughs) Right. That's true. That's true. Um, I... Well, let's just say this. I didn't know anything about crime. I was just going to ask that. Nothing. I didn't know the big ones. Like, <laughs> I literally knew who Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy were. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, it to me. You know? You know? So <clears throat> my world has been different this last year. I'm a mm-hmm. lot more scared. Okay, good. But I know a lot good. more. And the cases are interesting. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite case that we went over? They aren't new to me, but they're all new to you. My favorite, as in the one I want to know the most, is Scott and Lacey Peterson. Really? So, like, way back in the beginning. Yes. But, like, the most interesting to me, oh, that's super hard. I got super caught up in the Freeman and Bible Girls. You did, yeah. Um, I loved all the t- table talks. Those are, like, I, did, I knew yes. I would love those, though, Yes. Going yes. Well, because, yeah, that's more... Your well, that's specifically your niche. I think it's mine too, but it's also like, yeah, that's what I was excited yeah. about going into the podcast. Yeah, because I didn't know anything, and I wasn't even interested in like 
True crime. The other part was just to shut me up. And then we just did <laughs> shut it. Shut you up. No, that was oh, yeah, just more. you talking. I just meant like complaining. Oh. Like that you never oh, that care you about things that I care about. Okay, that's broad. That's a broad Well, story. yeah, no, I was just saying, like, I would have complained about that. I don't now because now you are forced to care. Right. Which is fun for me. Um, yeah, I'm, I am very attached to the John Benet Ramsey case, though, so I feel like that was another favorite of mine. I'm not as. Yeah, but, like, you, sh- like, should be, though. Have you ever thought of that? Mm-hmm. Also, we, yeah. I really liked the Jonestown episode that we did. Mm-hmm. That one was pretty good. I'm looking at our episodes right now. That's the Kool-Aid one. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That one was really good. Um, I don't know. Oh, and I also liked Free Britney because you got to take a little bit of a lead on that one, which was sort of fun. That was fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, um, best way to help us celebrate one year is to go give us five stars wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, which is still embarrassing for me, please feel free to give us a <laughs> like, a comment, something, something. Um, yeah. Maddie, anything else? No, it's been a fun year though. It's been a very fun year, honestly. Yeah. I What's funny is that we've changed our tune like multiple times on how we do stuff, like just because I don't know, I guess that's the nature of how things go. Um but it's just funny that now we're just, like, not editing things. <laughs> well, you're editing some things. But now we're just kind of, like, we don't care as much. Yeah. No. At first, I – you guys, if you go back and listen, there's not a single pause of silence because I would edit out the silence in between us speaking to each other. Like, yeah. I was editing every last yeah. thing to make it, like, one cohesive, like, perfect thing. But yeah. – I honestly like that we're able to talk now, which at the beginning we would pause and like talk to each other, like stuff that we wouldn't want on camera, which we kind of did away with. Yeah. But I think that also came with us being more comfortable in front of the microphone. Oh, I remember the first time we recorded and it was so weird. It was so awkward. Like (laughs) we really did have to figure out how to like be comfortable and be talking to essentially no one but each other, but like we're speaking to an audience, you know, like yeah. it's weird. It's super weird. It's weird to develop a stage presence as we now have. It's also Just weird. Kidding. That was a joke in case the, sorry, yeah, sorry I didn't translate. Laugh. Yeah. Um, it's also weird that like when you're talking with friends, you can just say sort of whatever comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But when you're putting things out there for, you know, you don't know who's listening. Yeah. You have to be so mindful of every word you're saying. Yeah. So it's like there were some that, that we would record that Maddie would be like, "Hey, I'm editing this part out because I know what you meant. Other people are gonna think that sounds bad." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, okay. yeah." Okay, sorry. And that's why, like, it's funny because I like quote unquote don't edit it, but I watch through the entire thing yeah, every bless. time to make sure that like we're putting things out that we're actually proud of right. and things that we want to say. I've, I also realized, cause I kind of like anytime I watch anything on YouTube or sometimes like listen to random podcasts, I have this weird bias where I'm like, is that these, this is going to sound bad, but I think that this is one of those things that Maddie might have to secretly edit out. <laughs> Just kidding. But like where I think people sound dumber than they are, where I'm like, that was a dumb thing for them to say. Yes. But then I hear myself and I'm like, well, that was People probably think I'm dumb. Like, no, 100%. I'm like, wow, I don't that know was why. a dumb thing to say. And when I said yeah. it, it didn't feel dumb. No. But looking back, it, it, it sounds dumb. dumb. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like I sound a lot dumber. So this is all to say we're smarter than we think. I also, when I'm watching YouTube, I always notice jump cuts. 
What are jump cuts? Jump cuts are like you started something and, you know, audio wise, like on a podcast, you wouldn't be able to tell necessarily when the jump cuts are. Yeah. But you're, when you're watching a video, you, you can is. see visibly where somebody edited out a part and jumped to another part. Yeah. And I always appreciate the people that are well-spoken and like well-thought enough to say what they had to say without jump cutting anything. Mm. So I feel like even with us, like public speaking, if you want, if you will, mm -hmm. like public speaking wise, like we've done better at being able to like, say the things we want to say mm -hmm. and say them effectively instead right. of having to edit out everything on a, you know, a That's YouTube true. video. Yeah. Like, and like rely on that. That goes to show that we've kind of grown in how and what we want to say and like deciding to say it. Yeah. Which is cool. Cause it helped us like in other areas. Yeah. You know, now I'm good at everything. Okay. Well, I'm not. Okay. So, There's one humble one. In this I know. Here we are. So for this lovely, I almost just said hundredth episode. It's certainly not our hundredth <laughs> episode. For our lovely one year episode, uh, Maddie doesn't know what we're doing. I don't. Do you have any idea where I might be taking this? Um, my only clue is that it's crimey. It is crimey. You know which one it is. No. Why would I know? Because we just talked. Well, granted, you have no memories. We just talked about it. I do have some memories, okay? Okay. Okay. Name a memory you have. What are you talking about? Just name any memory. Literally any memory. She's like, I can't. <laughs> the first time we met each other in the quad and we talked about our moms being. I thought that I sentence. was the one that remembered that and you didn't remember. Well, it. who just recalled that? I just thought that it was like one of those memories I implanted in your brain. No, you I remember that clearly. You do? We, yes. Oh. I thought you We're didn't. just making this clear here. I do have memories. Just four or five. I have a couple, <laughs> and they're, none of them are true crime cases. Okay. We are going to talk about the notorious case. B-I-G. Good one. Good one. That was hilarious. Everyone clap for Maddie. Thank you. Thank you. The crime of the century, O.J. Simpson. Oh. Why we talked about this the other day. No, see, she doesn't remember it. Um, we talked about this in the car. With Jordan. Yes, we talked about it in I the car I do remember that. But I, that didn't stick out enough really? for me to be like, oh, we're 1,000% doing this well, today. Well, 1,000%. But you said I was going to know. Well, okay, I just figured maybe. Okay, so this has been fun. This is our last episode. Okay, <laughs> so everyone knows the O.J. Simpson case. So I really, at first, didn't want to cover it because I was like, everyone knows that case. But at the same time, I was like, Everyone it's one of the most talked about OJ cases. did it. Yeah. I mean, like every time, like whenever I'm listening to like my own crime podcasts that I'm like, whatever, not my own as in ours, as in like other ones I'm listening to, um, they always say like, oh, it was like this, it was like the OJ of the time, whatever, whatever. So I just figured we might as well figure out the details of the case because it's like the most talked and about in for general. Those of what those of what? you? <laughs> For those people who aren't necessarily super familiar with the details. Of yes. It. And I didn't know the details either. I mean, like, everybody knows the main points of it, like the glove, and people know about the Bronco chase, but they don't necessarily know about, like, all the details. And I didn't either. Because I watched The People versus O.J. Simpson on Netflix, but, like, a long time ago, whenever it first came out. I and so, it. Oh, it's really good. You should watch it. It's, like, the dramatized version, but it's really good. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So... This is not, none of this information is taken from the people versus OJ. Um, but um, basically, um, the, the important, other important thing too that I think doesn't get talked about most of the time whenever they talk about the case is the fact that it was like 
polarizing race-wise in the 90s. Yeah, for sure. Which is super interesting, so we're going to talk about that, too. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. June 17th, 1994. Stations all over the country are getting live footage. It's breaking into news stations. Everybody's freaking out. It's on every bar in America. They've, like, changed the TV station to whatever's going on in L.A. The footage is grainy because it's 1994, but word has it that a white car that is that belongs to O.J. Simpson is barreling down the L.A. highway. And also rumor has it that he has a gun. A week ago, it wouldn't have been major news that O.J. Simpson is just driving down the freeway, but now it is because the Heisman Trophy winner NFL star who is now doing TV, whatever, he's acting now, is uh has just been suspected of a double homicide five days before of his ex-wife and her friend which obviously we're gonna get into so there's rows of patrol cars that are following oj simpson's bronco as he flees from the la courthouse after writing goodbye notes reports are coming in live that he has a gun so everyone's just like figuring this out bit by bit and no one really knows what's going on so they find out eventually that oj is not even the one driving the car Mm. Um, he's actually in the passenger seat. The car is being driven by his friend, Al, Al Cowlings. Al said that OJ had a gun to his own head saying that if he stopped driving the car, that he was going to kill himself. So that's why the chase, if you watch it, it like, you can't really tell. Cause it's like above footage, sure. like bird's eye footage, but it's going really slow. Like they're not going fast. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like the, the lamest police chase you've ever seen. So he's not like barreling down. No. At first it seems that way. And then you like actually, then they were like, oh yeah, no, they're only going like 30 on the freeway. And the freeway is completely open. They like had everybody move the car so all the patrol cars could still follow him. So oh, it's just open freeway. Yeah. Because it's not like the LA touch and go traffic you'd imagine. It's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Tom Lang, the homicide detective is calling him and they have the footage, not the footage, the audio recording of him on the phone. And Tom Lang is saying, no one needs to get hurt. And OJ is like, obviously very upset. He said, I'm the only one that deserves to get hurt. Tom said, you do not deserve to get hurt. OJ said, all I did was love Nicole. All I did was love her. The chase ends at OJ's house in Brentwood. Once they're able to talk him down, um, inside the car, (laughs) you find a fake mustache a passport, makeup adhesive, and a gun. Can you imagine O.J. Simpson, who everybody in the world right now is talking about this crime, he's, what, going to pull one over at TSA with a fake mustache? He's, like, 250 pounds and, like, six foot four. Yeah. He'd be like, oh, that's O.J. with a goatee. Yeah, Yeah. like, what? So they find his suicide note, which is read on national TV by uh, the – Kardashian, what's his name? Rob Kardashian? Rob, right? <laughs> No, Rob's the brother. Ron. Uh, maybe I thought it was Rob. Robert. I thought it was Rob, and then he was Rob Jr.? Maybe. I don't Let know. me look it up. I don't remember. Um, the suicide note basically just says, first, everyone understand I have nothing to do with Nicole's murder. I loved her, always have, always will. If we had a problem, it's because I loved her so much. Weren't, weren't, weren't. It is Robert. See, there we go. Actually, wait. Why does it say Arthur? Maybe he went by Robert. Okay. Robert, but Arthur? (laughs) You know what? It's not worth it. Okay, so let's go back to the actual murder itself. June 12th, 1994, that's in West Los Angeles. Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman are found dead at Nicole's home. They are led there by Nicole's dog. So I guess, like, the dog managed, it was, like, barking, and it had blood over its paws and managed to walk people back there, and they found this really, really gruesome scene. 
Um, that that's, is so traumatic for a dog, though, too. I know somebody whose dog, um, side note here, um, he watched his owner commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And the dog has, like, crippling anxiety and has, like, really bad attach- attachment issues. And, like, is if the owner's, like, um, not at the house, he shakes the whole time. If he goes to sleep or is sick, he's, like, all over him. Like, he's very traumatized from that's, it. Why do I feel like I've heard that story? Have I you probably heard? have told you it before. That's very sad. That's actually something that they tell us, too, in grad school of, like, if you're trying to get somebody to live for something when you're doing, like, a suicide assessment of, like, bring up their dog. Yeah. Like, oh, you're, like, you would literally traumatize your dog. You yeah, and exactly. You. And not, not have an idea what happened to yeah. you. Oh, that's so sad. Okay, so dog freaking out manages to bring people back there investigators find this really gruesome bloody scene and they say that it looked like it was just a rage killing from the very beginning they uh sorry okay so they i'm sorry okay nicole is found on the way down from her house then next to nicole's body is where they find the notorious black leather glove that's covered in blood which obviously we're going to come back to so this would become one of the hallmarks of the case. There are also bloody footprints that are heading away from the scene and five drops of blood that are towards the rear of the property. Now also disclaimer, this, there's a ton of forensics. I could literally spend like probably three hours researching and presenting the forensics of the entire case. Cause it's so much, but basically at the end of the day, I didn't go into too much detail because of the fact that it gets botched anyways. So, Oh, well, I could go through all the details, but then everybody has conflicting accounts, okay. so which I'll get into, but just heads up. I'm not like breezing over things just for fun. Okay. So um, they also find an envelope that's containing a pair of glasses found near the scene. They find out later that Ron Goldman, who was a friend of Nicole, had come there that night to drop them off because she had left them at the restaurant. So... A little bit of background. Nicole Brown Simpson, 35 years old. She had been divorced from OJ Simpson for about two years at this point, And they were co-parenting their two children, which were Sydney and Justin, who were pretty young at the time. They had been on again, off again for a while. So like disputes of when they were legally separated versus when they got divorced or, you know, they go back and forth. But at this point, they're consistently off. Um, the last year of her life was spent basically just trying to figure out what life was like without OJ uh, because their relationship had been crazy, crazy toxic, which, again, we're going to get into. So, night of June 12th, OJ and Nicole are both at their daughter Sydney's dance recital. Simpson had just ended a relationship with the girlfriend that day, so he's kind of fragile. He allegedly goes home after the recital to his home in Brentwood. And then we're going to go into, the, like, the timeline there. Nicole goes out to a family dinner oops, at a restaurant where his friend Ron Goldman is a waiter. Um, and then some people said he was a waiter and some people said he owned the restaurant. I don't know. He was there. So not that it matters. Um, and Nicole apparently frequented this place a lot because she was friends with Ron. Um, they say that Ron, Ron is 25. Uh, they say that they were like together or something, but no one has ever confirmed that in his, their family says it's not true. So I don't know. So, uh, Nicole and the kids get home around 9 15 from their dinner. And by that time, oh no, we're sorry. Help me. Now, OJ reports getting home 9 o'clock to 9.30, where he goes to McDonald's with Brian Kalen, who is also known as Cato. That's, like, how they know him. They return back at 9.45. Cato is staying OJ's guest house at the time, and he ends up hearing things, which 
I'll get into. I keep saying that. Sorry. Okay. 10.15. Neighbors report hearing the dog frantically barking at Nicole's house. At 10.45, the limo driver, Alan Park, arrives at OJ's house. He has a flight at 11.45 in Chicago, so he's just coming to pick him up. Um, so he buzzes the intercom several times outside the gate, and there's no answer. So he's waiting there for like 10 minutes. He's waiting. And then just before he, 11, he sees a dark, shadowy figure of a man behind the gate enter into the house. And at 11 o'clock, finally, OJ answers. And he says, oh, my gosh, I overslept. I just got out of the shower. I'm going to be out in a minute. And he's, like, a little bit late coming down. Okay. Really weird. Whatever. Um, and then at 12 o'clock is when the bodies are actually discovered at midnight after they followed the dog up that way. Scary times. Whenever the police get there, they detectives arrive and they said that the bath Nicole ran was still warm. There's music playing inside the house and there are candles on. Her front door was left open. So clearly she wasn't planning on being outside of the door long. I'm assuming like new Ron was coming, opened the door and was like waiting to come out and grab the glasses mm. and then like just left it open <laughs> and the candles are like still on whatever. Um, but before she knew it, she was stabbed four times in the neck, which was yeah. why there was so much blood everywhere because they got her jugular. So it's a forensic puzzle um, immediately because there's literally so much blood and there's so much going on. Um, but they figure out, they think that Nicole was stabbed first and then Ron had come up the walkway and countered the murderer after like right after it happened and struggled with him. And then that's where he's attacked and killed. Nicole went down quickly, but Ron was very obviously struggling. His blood was all over the scene. All of his wounds are like, you could tell he was in movement trying to fight this person off. He's actually like a really into karate. Mm -hmm. And so he has like a, some sort of really high belt. I don't know if it's a black belt or what, but some sort of really high belt in karate. And so he's like fighting this dude off, like trying to get away from him um, until the point that his throat is severed, which ends up being the kill wound. Ooh, I know. So. Tom Lang and the other detectives go to OJ's house the night of at like 5 a.m., which is only five minutes away. So as they pull up, Detective Mark Fearman, who we're going to talk about because he's an asshole, reports that he finds a speck of blood on the Ford Bronco that's parked outside of OJ's house. So detectives go to the property and they start looking around and they find that, that OJ has already left for Chicago. Um, and so they are looking around the house when Detective Fearman also finds the right hand glove that matches the left-hand glove that they found next to the body. So this is already reason enough to consider this a crime scene without needing a search warrant, any of that stuff. So um, they find, once they end up testing that glove, they find the blood of OJ, Nicole, and Ron Goldman on it, mm. all three people. So where the glove is found next, the oh, the glove is found at OJ's house next to the guest house, exactly where Cato reported hearing the thoughts at 1045. Dun, 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 dun. If you kill somebody and leave your glove, why walk away from it? He might not have realized that he left the glove, like in a, in the adrenaline know that the rush. I well, that's in one of the questions too. Is like, is it premeditated that he had the gloves on because it's June in LA? Like he didn't need gloves. They were like leather gloves. I'm just saying, how do you not notice yeah. the glove falling off? Well, that's what I'm leather saying too. Yeah, like if you intentionally put on gloves to go there and kill somebody, you would think you would notice one you of would them come off. on with both. But they were kind of like almost under her body. There's crime scene pictures I'll post. But it was like next to, it was like next to and under. Maybe it was just like adrenaline, didn't know where it was, flipped out. I guess. But you would think if it's premeditated, it's, I mean, it's rage. You know exactly know. what you're doing though and how to get out right. Right? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Um, okay. 
so um, the house immediately becomes a crime scene. OJ is notified while he is in Chicago that his ex-wife has been found dead. His response immediately was, who killed her? Oh, slimy. Allegedly, there are spots from Nicole's blood found up the driveway and in the foyer of his house. So a senior detective comes in. They bring the crime scene photographer. And the photographer's job is to take pictures as they are approaching the rooms first because they have to get there before anyone else gets in, before anything's disturbed. How did they know so quickly that they were dead? Whenever the the two? Yeah. Nicole and... But how did the police know that they were... The dead? dogs were barking. And so then the, the dog got outside and somebody followed the dog, seeing oh. why the dog was oh, freaking oh, out oh, and sorry, they found the bodies. No, it's okay. So they go to the master bedroom where they find two socks that are laying at the foot of the bed. They're black socks. So at first they just put like a little sticker thing next to it to say this is evidence and they don't know anything about it. Well, it turns out they're actually covered in blood that you couldn't see. Um, and when they're later analyzed for DNA, it's found that they have uh, blood all over them that belongs to Nicole Brown Simpson. So OJ flies back from LA to sh- from his from Chicago to LA. And one of the first things they notice is that there's an injury on his left hand. Mm-hmm. It's also a strange coincidence that the left glove is the one found and fell off that was laying there. And he has a cut like all down his left finger. So they get the finger photographed. They ask what happened to him. And he gives several different answers. The detective was like, within the, within the hour that we were sitting there, he gave me three different answers as to why the cut was on his finger. Like, mm-hmm. no clue. So police look into the history of the couple to kind of see if there's any evidence for anything and they find that they did not have a white picket fence marriage i think they were married for eight years or seven years or something like that uh and there was a history of violence in the home including times that nicole had gone to the police after being physically attacked by oj during their marriage and in the years after there are allegations that oj had stalked her in the past um which there's an interview too that i'll talk about because it's infuriating so they also find a beanie at the crime scene that has hair fibers matching oj OJ also had a knife matching what the coroner believed was used, but the knife and shoes that he was wearing at the time were never found. There's a mysterious pair of footprints that don't belong to any of the investigators, any anything, not the victims. And OJ was known to have those pair of shoes, which I'll talk about in a second also. So, interesting. So June 17th is when they get the warrant. That's when the police chase happens. Uh, then the vehicle is examined after they managed to get the Bronco back into police custody and it's examined as part of the crime scene. That's where they find a transfer of blood pattern similar to the pattern on OJ's left hand where the cut is. Like it looks like that would have been where he would have opened it. It's also consistent with the inside of the door well where he would have pulled it shut. There's blood all over the places that there would be blood where you touch in a car, ignition, the control, the center console. Mm-hmm. Um, but most is Nicole Simpson's. Some of it, though, is Ron Goldman's, which is on the center console, which is basically saying, like, fine, maybe you can make some circumstantial case that Nicole's blood was already in there. But what Ron Goldman's blood, like blood, you wouldn't have any reason to be in there. So you would think open and shut, have all this evidence against OJ, done and done. Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. Um, so a private investigator, he's the like very famous private investigator for this. Rob case. Kardashian. Nope. <laughs> uh, this is um his name is Bill Deere. And he's basically he wrote a book that says, uh, I think it's called OJ is Innocent and I'll Tell You Why or something like that. So this is ba- and a lot of this information I got from a documentary called The Untold Story that's just on YouTube. It's it is very like low budget and funny. So um so he brings up some things that I think are very easily dismissible, like about how confident 
like, oh yeah, a confident man wouldn't just go in there and talk with police without his lawyer. I'm like, yes, they would. If you have narcissistic personality disorder, you're literally not nervous about it. You know, yeah. like, and this man has so much money that he's probably thinking I could pay my way out of this. You know, if he thought he covered his tracks, I don't know. There's a lot that he basically said that I thought was just bogus, but he does make a few points that are just circumstantial, but like kind of throw around some things. So he says that this is like a townhouse. So I'll post pictures of what the house looks like, like where the crime scene was. It's been renovated since, but it's still very, very close quarters. And so it should have like notified somebody earlier than those two hours. If it was like killing two people, isn't going to be a quiet affair, especially if there was a struggle. Um, also OJ should have bruises all over him because Ron Goldman had his black belt. And so how did he manage to get out of there with only a small injury on his hand? And they like recreated what the fight scene would have looked like and he should have bruises and he didn't have any. Um, and Goldman is also found with bruised knuckles and open cuts on his hands, which there were no, unless he just like managed to hit concrete or something, but he would think like he would have punched someone. Yeah. Um, the forensic pathologist sees the injuries that are especially the ones that are, um, or I'm sorry, he sees the injuries that are on uh, OJ's hands and says they're definitely from fingernails, but they test the acrylic nails that Nicole was wearing and the blood that's under her fingernails doesn't match OJ. Ooh. It's just blood. So um, Dr. Henry Lee is one of the most famous forensic pathologists at the time, and he's hired by the defense to look into the forensics. He says, okay, this whole thing needs to be thrown out because everything is contaminated and they have videos of it. It's literally, and I feel like we've covered so many cases where this happens. Always. Always. You There's like videos of them like outside the house and you can see investigators inside like sitting on railings, walking in puddles of blood, like Gosh. just screwing up everything. Always. Uh, and so Henry Lee is like pissed off about the entire thing, thinks it needs to be thrown out. He also sees crime scene photos and he can, you can see Nicole is like laying on her stomach and you can see her back and there's splatters of blood that are like on her back where you can see them. So he asks for results of those blood samples and they tell him those were never collected. They're gone. And so he's like, well, that could have told us if that was the killer's blood. And mm. like, we don't, if, is that OJ's blood? Because that would mean OJ was bleeding over her body. That would have told us something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hello. <laughs> right. They also say that teams should have been individually set up in the police department for each incident. So the Bronco should have been a crime scene. OJ's house should have been a crime scene. Nicole's house should have been a crime scene. And that those three teams shouldn't have been able to interact with each other so that they didn't have like, oh, you're looking for evidence to point to the husband. You're looking for both. You know, like yeah, they yeah, should have yeah. been able to coordinate and they did. So um, evidently officers also had gotten into the vehicle before it was examined. Goodness. I know. So, um, oh, oh, also, this is a good one. So one of the officers had also been in contact with the dog who had blood all over its paws. So it's possible that the transfer didn't even happen from OJ, that it could have happened oh from the dog. Gosh. And even if that's like a stretch, reasonable doubt, threw that in there. Um, 36 hours later, the crime scene is completely washed away, which is really fast for them to do. They like hose all of it down. Um, but still, there is some evidence that can't really be explained away by all of those factors. One of them being the socks, because they didn't, unless, of course, they say that they planted the socks. But I don't think that was ever a theory that happened. So 
And they find that the DNA that is a direct match to OJ Simpson. Oh, this is the other thing. Sorry. They also, there's DNA that's a direct match to OJ Simpson that was found three weeks after the murders that was on the gate still left there. Ooh. So the defense asks for the socks to be retested before the trial. And when they do, they find um, a preservative that's called EDTA. The defense claimed that the blood found on a sock in Simpson's bed was planted there by a detective named uh, Detective Vanader. Oh. Yeah. So he's like directly supposed to be held responsible for this because at this point, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, LAPD at this point is known to be very racist. Mm. And there's a bunch of claims going on about different um, acquitted officers all around this time. So as evidence... They offered that Vanader did have possession of Nicole Brown's autopsy blood briefly prior to booking it into evidence and that the blood contained EDTA, a preservative found in the reference vial of Nicole Brown's autopsy blood. Oh, interesting. The claim was refuted by the defense's own witness, who was the FBI special agent, Robert Martz, who showed that the level of EDTA, EDTA in the blood drop is consistent with unpreserved blood and not close to the levels that would be put in the tube. Very confusing. So, like, the the FBI special agent is saying, like, no, that's a normal amount that would be found mm-hmm. in unpreserved blood. But the other people are saying that it's not, that it would have to be from a tube. So, mm-hmm. throws out a, l- a little more into question, which, as honestly, at this point, it's kind of with everything. So, of course, the infamous glove at the trial, OJ is asked to try on the glove on the stand um, and there's, like, obviously a million pictures of him trying on those gloves. You've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, of course, whenever he tries them on, they're too small. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then the tagline was, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Ha, ha, ha. Right, right, right. Okay. So, um, but now the prosecution argues with that because they say that the gloves had been frozen and unfrozen multiple times to preserve the DNA that was on them, meaning that it could have changed in size. I not a scientist. I don't know the forensics on that, but again, now it's like their hard pieces of physical evidence are all coming into like maybe they turn into maybes and mm. like, can you prosecute someone on a maybe? Right. Okay. So also going into the Bronco here, uh, all three have blood in the Bronco. Oh my God. Yeah. The sample is tested three months later and the results from the console are evidently very different from the ones that are initial. So some are considered mixtures. They basically say if there's a mixture of all three of their blood, that mixture should be consistent. If it was on his hands, it was like whatever, but it's not. And so it doesn't really make sense that it seems almost like you like dipped your hand into one and then boom, boom, boom. Like it just doesn't really make much sense. So that's why they're starting to think it hasn't been implanted. Um, they also say that the finger marks are in weird places on the center console that you have to be bent really weird. So like one, like your finger, like on the center console, there was one you would think it'd be facing down if you grab the center console, but it's facing up. Oh. Yeah. So it just looked like it wasn't supposed to be put there the right way. Um, okay. So let's go back to Mark Furman, who I talked about before. Yeah. He was the guy who found some of the blood evidence. And they look into his background a little bit, too. And they find that he'd been involved in several cases where black suspects were beaten in police custody. He was questioned in court about falsifying police records in this case and asserted his Fifth Amendment privilege. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Another disturbing thing is that uh, some of OJ's blood had gone missing, evidently. At the time, they had vials of it. Apparently, some of the vials turned up conveniently missing. 
Um, oh, the other thing about Mark Furman too is that he was recorded making racial slurs 40 different times on camera in 40? one sitting while on shift. Like oh, with body cam footage. So gosh. he alone was the one who found the glove. Hmm. Creates issues as well. Mm-hmm. So not even the DA at the time. Um, no, I'm sorry. Now even the DA at the time, he's a black man. He's the one who is working for OJ at this point. He basically says that it would upset the black jurors regardless and make them pick a side. Even if it was like they thought that OJ was guilty up until this point, it was like, all right, are you going to pick the white cop or are you going to pick OJ at this point? And he says that. Um, Like he knew exactly what he was doing because also the jury is made up of eight black jurors, one white, two Hispanic, and two mixed. So obviously at this point with everything being as like racially motivated as it is at the time. So now the only things they really have left are that he doesn't have an alibi at the time of the murder. And why is his blood at the scene? What is his alibi? Hmm. Um, But reasonable doubt has been established in all of the situations. So the case is broadcasted at schools. Everyone is watching live all over the country and the world is split on what the outcome is going to be. And that's whenever Orenthal James Simpson is declared not guilty the first time. So a year later, he's tried again in civil court by the victim's families and pressure is even higher because you can only be tried two times for the same crime. Then it's double jeopardy and you can't get charged again. So even, so if he comes up not guilty in this case too, he could afterwards, he could just say, Oh yeah, no, I did it. Ha ha. And there's nothing anyone can do Even after a confession? Mm -hmm. That seems kind of weird. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the second trial, new evidence emerges that's really interesting, one of them being the bloody footprints. So we said the scene was contaminated, but this part's really important. There is one bloody footprint at the scene that matches a Bruno Magli designer shoe. You're say Bruno Mars. Matched Bruno Mars. He was there. He was eight, but he was there. <laughs> um, actually, I have no idea. How, how old is Bruno Mars? I think he's not that old. No, wait. I think he's like kind of mad old. Pick a side. <laughs> no, no, no. At first, I was thinking he's like our age, but then I'm Google how old is. Bruno I'm pretty Mars. sure he's really old. How old is Bruno Mars in 1994? If he was eight, I want five hundred dollars cash right now. Okay, Bruno Mars is thirty-five. This is in mm-hmm. what year? Math. 1994. He was born in eighty-five, eighty-six, eighty-seven, eighty-eight, eighty-nine, ninety. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ninety-one, ninety-two. 90. 93. I was one year off. That's hilarious. Uh, Why did I forget 90? All right, guys. Jokes on you guys. It was Bruno Mars did this. Whoa. Um, Okay. Anyways. So Bruno Magli designer shoes. Um, There's only 300 of those shoes that were sold ever. Okay. So OJ says under oath that he doesn't own a pair of those shoes. A photographer in Buffalo, New York, though, where he played for the Buffalo Bills, um, he had heard his testimony and he found some photos of whenever he was in Buffalo, New York, and he is wearing those shoes. I was just going to say, like, you can't get away with anything while you're famous. Exactly. Like, you wear all the clothes you have. We'll get this part. And in the picture, there's one picture you can see the sole of his shoe. He's walking and, like, his foot's up. You can see the exact sole of the shoe. So oh he's my like, God. oh, my God, those are doctored. It's laughable how ridiculous this is. Well, then another photographer in New York, New York comes up with 30 pictures from the same day of the event. One of those pictures was published in the newspaper, so it couldn't have been doctored because it was public record. So we owned those shoes and they were never found. Huh. Isn't that crazy? So he loses this case 
um, which means that he has to pay the family's millions of dollars, but he's not considered criminally convicted. So mm -hmm. there's no like prison time. Um, Dr. Henry Lee thinks that he has evidence that supports two people at the murder scene. He finds a different size shoe with a different print. None that match the police either. They don't belong to the victims. Um, so they think maybe it was a witness. Maybe it was another perpetrator. He was there at some point, but they're trying to figure out how that really took place. Okay. Racial unrest at the time. Uh, Rodney King had just been brutally and unlawfully attacked by police in 1992 and all the officers involved were acquitted. So there's all these race riots happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. So white people really want him arrested. Black people want him acquitted. It's like, that's exactly, that's like what LA looks like at yeah. the time. But then it also like, it's not just LA, it's everywhere else too, because people are pissed about certain things. Yeah. And there's also like, and they talked about this in a different documentary that it wasn't on this one, but they were saying about how like the bias against like, the fact that he was with a white woman, like people weren't down for that at the mm -hmm. time because there's so much unrest that it's like, screw right. this. Like, Pick a side. Yes. Pick yes. side. Um, they also, shortly after the arrest footage was found showing OJ in handcuffs as soon as he landed uh, in LA, which led other people to believe that the police rushed to judgment, which they might've, mm -hmm. but, and part of it may have been racially motivated. And then part of it, people say that it was because it was just because he was the ex-husband. He's the most likely suspect. Right. I, There's yeah. a lot stacked against him yeah. there. Um, the other theory, too, that is also important to consider is Jason Lamar Simpson, which is OJ's 24-year-old son. Um, Jason was yep. never interviewed by the police. But when a private investigator looked into it, he sees that Jason was on probation at the time of the murders for attacking a former employer with a knife. Ooh. This is also not the first person that he attacked with a knife. He had attacked two separate girlfriends with knives as well. Is this who you think did it? No, I think OJ did it. Okay. But, well, I guess I shouldn't say that yet. But this is also, it's just like, it just throws a wrench in things. Yeah. So, um, he also had a, a drunk driving charge and a hit and run. So, clearly he's not like cream of the crop here. Um, they look for an alibi. He basically, his alibi gets really screwed up because he says that they they shut down at a certain time, but they think they shut down earlier that night. He said that his girlfriend picked him up from 10 o'clock to 10.30, but he hadn't picked him up until about 9.30. Um, so yeah, there's basically a whole bunch of stuff there that alibi timeline potentially could have opened things up. Um, and at one, oh, and one of the fights that he got into with his girlfriend, he tackled her with a knife and cut off her hair. Oh, he yeah. cut off your hair with a knife? That's mm -hmm. kind of intense. Yeah, like a screaming fight. That's yeah. a sharp knife. He was known for mood disturbances, attempting suicide, heavy drug use, alcohol. He also uh, takes prescription medication for rage disorder. They found that out because the PI was looking through his trash and found oh. his um, pills for that. Interesting. Now, what would be the motive, though? Why would he do that? They... The PI thinks that he knows. On June 12th, which was obviously the night she died, Nicole, Justin, and Sydney were scheduled to go to Jason's restaurant where he was a chef. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently they never showed up. So he had planned for 11 people to come to the restaurant and no one oh, came. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Uh, but all the knives from his uh, set, like his chef's set, were um, accounted for. Two questions. So sorry. Yeah. One, how much longer are you recording? And two, do you know where Lighter is? Fifth, uh, probably 10, 15 minutes. And no. Okay. okay. Um, sorry. Okay. Okay. Also, Nicole had been being stalked previously. 
Mm -hmm. And whenever she reported it to police, she said that she wasn't sure who it was. She thought it might be OJ or it might be Jason. So clearly she had some reservations about Jason and Jeff. Uh, But again, everything is totally circumstantial. So OJ writes a book in 2006. (laughs) It's called If I Did It. What? Yes. Oh, I've heard of this. The entire hypothetical situation of like, if I did it, here's what the exact crime looked like. Yeah. So it's like a whole thing. It's not like a... I can't Memoir. tell if that's crazy or genius. Well, here's the thing, though. He wasn't even allowed to publish it at first. They ended up taking him to court for it, and then now all of Ron, all the proceeds go to Ron Goldman's family. Oh. So if you buy the book even now, that money's going to Ron Goldman's family. Huh. He wasn't allowed to make money off the book. But the whole thing is hypotheticals, as if, like, he's like, oh, so whenever he's talking about it, he is, the whole time he just has to say, like, allegedly, allegedly, like, hypothetically, in this fake scenario but like why that's so weird it's weird so why why do you want to write that okay so this is from his 2006 interview that they just put out in 2018 um and i i i'm assuming it's like legal reasons why they couldn't put it out at the time but now they have it out and i was like on the fence like okay there's a lot that stacked up in a lot of different directions here but then i watched this interview yeah and I was like, no, that's just not, this can't be real life. Like, are you kidding me? He, uh, and it takes response. He is t- isn't taking responsibility at all for the domestic disputes that happened before then. So he's, t- there's like one story of a time that he was like tossing a baseball bat and blah, blah. He's like, yeah, I was just tossing it. It got completely blown up. Blah, blah. He's like laughing in this interview. Hmm. Um, and the lady was like, oh, yeah, like, I heard, like, it's pretty bad in the police report. He, like, busted her windshield with a baseball bat. And he was like, no. Like, he didn't throw it up and it landed on the car? Yeah, no. He Like, he busted. She was in the car. Oh. So it's just his version of events is not even slightly what he said they were. Oh. New Year's 1989 was, like, their big historic fight, which has the police reports. They had gone to a party and come home drunk, and there had been rumors that he had been cheating on her. So they get into a fight over a pair of earrings. He throws her out of the house, and he says, she got physical with me, and I got physical with her, and I understand that I'm bigger, and I should have taken responsibility. But he says, like, five times, like, she got physical with me first. She's a very confrontational person. I'm not making any excuses, but somehow I came out of that night as a poster boy of an abuser, all of this stuff. And then you look at pictures of her. She was literally completely black and blue. Oh, like it's not, it wasn't that. Yeah. And so he's charged with spousal abuse and ends up having to do community service. Oh, interesting. So, um, in the interview, he also reflects on his marriage with Nicole and their life together. He says that Nicole was too attentive to the kids. She wouldn't leave them. She was a terrific mom, though. He talks about her eating disorder and about having an affair because allegedly she had several affairs. And so that's whenever the interviewer says, like, okay, but whenever you would go on trips, you would cheat on her, too. And he was like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Right. But like, me, sh- so. are you serious? Um. He's basically just, like, shit-talking her the whole time. He insists that her therapist was lying on the stand at their divorce, saying that she was battered and that that Nicole didn't get on the stand because she she didn't want to lie on the stand. And the interviewer was like, so if she was an abused woman, she wasn't scared to, like, get on the stand? He was like, no. No, no, no. It was because she didn't want to lie, and she told me that therapist was crazy. And I'm like, what? Interesting. Like, you're insane. Um. He also downplays the idea that he was stalking her. He makes up these really weird 
outlandish allegations, not allegations, like these stories of like, oh yeah. And then I ran into her and then I like stopped by her house and I knocked on the door and whatever, like weird. Mm-hmm. Like what's wrong with you? Um, and then in a, in that same interview, he goes through some of the scenes and the entire time he's saying like, it's so difficult for me to do this, but he's laughing like the whole time. He's like, it's so hard. <laughs> what? You're isn't, crazy. Isn't that like a coping mechanism? No, no. It was laughing and un- inappropriate. But it wasn't like that. It was like a charismatic chuckle, like a like he was a talk show host. It wasn't like he was actually laughing. It was like a like he was trying to be a stage presence. If you watch the clip, you'll see what I mean. Okay. It's more like yeah. he's like talk show host laughing than like an actual I'm uncomfortable. You know? Yeah. Um he goes to this hypothetical scenario in which Charlie, who is a friend, is his accomplice. He goes over to Nicole's where he sees Ron Goldman, who's returning with his glasses. OJ starts to have words with him. Nicole comes out when she hears it, and then they end up getting into an altercation. Uh, Charlie follows in with a knife. Things get heated. Nicole falls and hurts herself. The guy goes into a karate thing. That's the exact term that he uses. Guy goes into a karate thing. And he said, you think you can kick my ass? He takes the knife from Charlie. And then he's standing there and there's blood all around. And then after he tells this whole thing, he starts laughing and says, yeah, this is hard. You wrote this. Like, what are you talking about? Um, So, OJ, thank you. I'm bleeding. Maddie just had to get me a little little guy here. Thank you. Okay. Um, 2007, he participated in a very strange L.A. or I'm sorry, not L.A. Las Vegas robbery where he was put in prison. Um, he was charged with like aggravated robbery, aggravated assault, all these things. He was supposed to get like 30 years and he got nine. Um, his plan after prison was to go to Florida, but apparently the governor of Florida just said that he wasn't welcome here. <laughs> I didn't know they could do that, but apparently they did. And uh, he now lives in Las Vegas, apparently has good relationships with all of his children Interesting. And that's where OJ is. And so technically the murder is technically still unsolved. Yeah. Even though that's what's crazy. He could literally just like call a New York Times reporter tomorrow and say like, hey, I'm going to say that I did it and it won't matter. I hope he has a a death. Deathbed confession. Yeah, deathbed confession. I don't think he will because he's a narcissist. So I think he likes that. Or maybe that's why. He'll be like, I got away with it. I outsmarted all you people for all these years. Maybe. And it was right in front of you. Typically, they don't do that, but maybe. You I think mean, he did it? Yeah. At the end of it, yeah. I got to do too. I just think that they're like, I'm uh, just like racist cops had to botch the entire thing. And mm-hmm. like, I just wonder what it would have looked like had they not made so many assumptions or like if there hadn't been so much civil unrest. And if the civil unrest were treated as three yes. separate things yes like if that would have been different i don't know i feel like he would still be in jail i feel like all the craziest killers got away with it not because they were like outsmarting people but because mm-hmm. this uh forensics got botched. botched somehow or like even in like i'm thinking of like bundy like back in the day they like the police just didn't communicate because it was across county lines and right. so because of that they just didn't know yeah like things just got very confusing to say the least isn't that nuts yeah so that's that um happy one year happy one year to us and to oj (laughs) one year of what one year of me 
thinking about OJ. <laughs> I actually probably thought about it in the very beginning. Of like, oh, maybe we should do OJ. Probably. I don't think we wrote him down, though. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I wonder. I wish we still had our, I like, do have it. Really? Our brainstorm picture. Oh. Yeah, I have it. That's kind of fun. Should we look at it and see which ones we've done and what we didn't do? Yeah. I mean, we probably should have looked at it more, like, in times where we don't really know what we're recording that day. We probably still need to look at it because we probably have some good ideas. Probably, probably. Maybe we were geniuses a year ago. Maybe we were. Maybe we weren't. Yeah. Wait, this is going to be funny. Okay, it's right here. Okay. Title brainstorm. Aww. Aww. Listen. Lame, but owning it. Aw, so close. <laughs> and then it just says average under. I think that we, we maybe we should have gone with that. Um, oh, and we also was going to do. We also was going to do. We also were going to do correction corner. Where oh, we my were, God, like, I forgot about that. Listen back and correct, like fact check ourselves. But we never did. We just uh-huh. sound like idiots for fun. Um, <laughs> this is so funny. I blurred out our original guests that we were going to have. But we said spiritual trauma, like people of oh, spiritual yeah. trauma, um, addictions. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk and about that. And then the only one that I left their name on there without blurring it out was Grace. And it was for the royal family. I, you know what? That makes sense. That and makes then sense. episode themes. So originally we had Table Talk for Idiots, which, which we stuck with. Oh, we did stick with that. And then we had Get Maddie on the Bandwagon. Oh, Which yeah, was, but what, what would that, you know, there was no way. In case you weren't wondering. Yeah. Um, and then Kelly or, Thomas gave us in case you weren't wondering. We oh, did that. she? Mm-hmm. And then the other idea for that one was Maddie reacting. <laughs> oh, no, dumb. I know. That okay. sounds like kids reacting. You know, the These are our get Maddie on the bandwagon slash in case you weren't wondering topics. Okay. Ted Bundy. Done. Right. Done. Israel Keys. Done. Done. Uh, Scott Peterson. Done. The Kennedys. Done. Mass incarceration. We recorded it and never posted it. Yeah, we were advised not to. Well, that was just one of those things where we were like, oh, we think we know us. And then we were like, we oh, don't, but not yeah. everyone does. Yeah. The death penalty. No, we haven't talked about that one yet. Andy Warhol book. We did. Mm-hmm. We did do that one. It didn't start with you. Oh, that's another book of mine I wanted to present to you. We and have Scientology. We have not done Scientology, and it's in our intro, and I always think it's I know. Out. Okay, then for table talks, we have Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Done. Done. Mental health. Yeah. We did some. Uh, yeah. Friendships, done. Done. Dating and relationships slash dating we, apps. We've done a lot of that, yeah. Uh-huh. Dysfunctional families. No. Couldn't attack Grief. our own families. Yeah, but we will. Grief. Oh, we haven't done that. Psychoanalyzing New Girl. We recorded we did. that. We recorded that one and we never posted it. Um, social media. I don't think so. No, we didn't talk. I don't know. Enemies. Rivalry. <gasps> comparison. Enemies. You're the hater. <laughs> when did we have enemies? Enemies. Meaning like rivalry, comparison. And I That's love this idea. You're the hater. I think you came up with I that. I did. You're like, I love and that idea because I came up with that. series ideas. Loneliness, fear, trauma. Those are series? Relationships with people with mental illnesses, body oh, image. Wow. We were kind of deep back then. We were really dreaming. And then we just ended dreams. up doing like men we wish well. <laughs> Whatever. If you guys want us to get more serious, let us know. Try it. Well, 
On this day three years ago, Grace well, Higgins said, I just don't feel like spending money on anything other than food, but you can't wear pad tie to one big night. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good one. Um, if there's any of those topics that sound good to anyone where you're like, oh, yeah, you guys should do that one, let us know. Let us know. We'll do it. Um, yeah. Maddie, anything else for one year? Got anything good? Happy one year. I love you. Happy one year. I love you, too. <laughs> This is actually Bye. just our anniversary. Of what? Just us. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay. Bye. Average and only.